If you would go in your Bibles with me today to Genesis 25, verses 29 through 34, I want to open a new series today on heart matters, heart matters, and we're going to deal with this for the next few weeks. We're going to talk about the hidden issues of the heart. Have you ever had something that you kept on getting irritated about or kept on agitating you? And um, you didn't know where it came from or what it was all about. And then maybe a few months later, you found out what was really making you angry or what was really causing the problem in the relationship. You found the source to it. Well, it's very possible that it was a heart matter. Amen. It was a heart issue. And there's a little bit to say about that. But And there's a lot that we're going to address. But I really think if we huddle around this story about Jacob seeking God about this particular series and asking God to help us, I believe that when you walk through this with us, if you can commit to being here over these summer Sundays, that you will see God touch your heart in ways and open some things to you that maybe you've been dealing with because you have either been running from the issue or hiding it. And what happens is when you find it, God will help you to deal with it. Amen? Because he does not bless in areas that we hide. He will bless in areas that we give to him and show him and say, God, would you help me with this? And that's kind of what I want to deal with. And I want to talk about no price tags today. Amen. So Genesis chapter 25, we're going to begin reading at verse number 29. And Jacob sawed pottage and Esau came from the field and he was faint. He'd been hunting a long time to be faint, apparently. And Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee, with the same red portage or pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, sell me this day thy birthright. And I like to say right about there, that escalated quickly. And Esau said, behold, I am at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. What a tragic story, amen? So I want to share with you for a little while about no price tags, because in our life we can have places that we may not even recognize that can be tempted, that can be placed uh, there can be placed a for sale sign that we don't even know it's there. And I'm asking God to help us today to find those places in Jesus' name. Lord, bless the hearing and the word uh, of the word. Do surgery, I pray, pray in this house today. Give my lips the ability to speak clearly and uh, hone my focus as I my heart is with family right now. In Jesus' name, amen. So many of you know that my stepmother passed away this week, and I thank you for your prayers. My mind is a little bit distracted this morning, so I do apologize, but I will do my best to preach this message and not be in Texas right now. <laughs> and I love you very much for loving me through this and giving me a little bit of grace today. Jacob and Esau is a very tragic story really of Esau not understanding the dynamics of his birthright and maybe he didn't believe truly believe that Jacob could ever make good on this swear make good on the fact that he had sold his birthright for a bowl of beans nobody would believe the story possibly he was thinking that nobody would really hold them to it because there's no way they could Esau is the firstborn he's the rightful heir of the birthright therefore if Jacob said but he sold it to me for a bowl of beans nobody would believe him because who would sell a birthright first off for a bowl of beans second you're not even the proper in, in properly in line for 
for the birthright. So therefore, it would never stick. Maybe that's what Esau was thinking. I can do this. I can get food. What does it matter? Because really, in the long run, I'm the one that's going to get the blessing because my father will know I'm the firstborn son and will lay his hand on me, his right hand, and bless me in his old age before he passes away. So a little bit of Bible background, we find out that whenever the story comes out that Jacob and Esau are brothers, we find out that they were fighting from the womb. We find out that they had a scrap going on before they had a conscious thought. You know, so they were wrestling in the womb and we realized that there is things that take place in the dynamics of the story that we can draw from to help us understand places in our own hearts where we might have struggle and trial and difficulty. And I want you to know that there are places in my life where I have found that there was a price tag I didn't know was there. And when I ran into it, I had to deal with the issue. Will you, will you preach for a crowd, per the Calhoun? Will you, will you sell out the doctrine for something that somebody gives you or will you be willing to move to another location because of the price tag that they're giving you for that location I, I had plenty of places I'll tell you honestly where I had price tags in my life that I didn't know about but I want you to know that when you sell out to something other than God it will cost you a whole lot more than you imagine and I also want you to know that the devil and the the, the world will never give you the true price of what it costs to sell out in fact, they hide the price tag and they, they, show, they only show you their, their rookies and the individuals that look beautiful on the front and look beautiful in, in, in body and physique and in life and show you all the, the beautiful things. The devil only shows you his rookies. But when you get to God and when you start asking God, what does it cost? He puts the price right up front. He puts the price tag right out there. He said, if you're going to follow me, you must take up your cross and follow me. Me. It's going to cost you a sacrifice. It's going to cost you something. It's going to take a, a conscious decision daily that this is my life given to God. And you must nail your price tag of your life to his cross. Amen. You must go to Calvary with your own life and say, God, I may have things that I need to work on, but I'm going to put my name on this tag and I'm going to nail it to your cross because you nailed all my sins to your cross. And because you bought me with a precious price, I know I'm worth something to you. So what happens is when you come to God, he shows you his veterans. He shows you the people that have been walking with God for a long time that know how to sensitively hear the, the word of the Lord and that can stand up in a service like this and say, here is the word of the Lord. This is what God is saying to his church, wise men and women who listen to what the spirit would say to the church. And whenever you're doing a fine search of the people that are patriarchs of Pentecost and other things, you will find out that they're not people without scars and wounds and price tags in their own life. They had to pay over and over again to be in this thing. They, it cost them family members, some of them. It cost them sacrifices to be on foreign fields. Some of them, it cost them relationships because their family didn't believe that they had the truth and they were walking in it. Some of them paid dearly to put their price tag on his cross but because he bought us with such a precious price, he can ask us to buy the truth and sell it not. 
because he bought us with such a precious price, he can tell us to analyze our life and find out and recognize where we have price tags, remove them where we find them, and replace them on the cross daily. Because it's not a matter of just putting them there. Sometimes you have to place it back there again and again. And I kept this story because I have a hairdresser that is at Men's Hair Hut. And her name is Ilsa. And she's Afghanistan. And she's very heavily, uh, she has kind of like a heavy accent. And Ilsa gets excited when we talk about God. And she knows I'm a pastor. And I get to witness to her. And I'm witnessing to her. And her, her I believe it's her husband might be her boyfriend, um, but she always talks about him, and he's opening a restaurant and all of these things. And, and I'm talking to her, and I'm, I'm always trying to get to the gospel with her because I can sense that she's hungry. And so I have to grow my hair out long before I go to this haircut appointment because the more we talk about God, the more she cuts. <laughs> She gets excited, uh, and she'll be like talking away and cutting away, and I'll end up with very little hair left. Um, and I don't say anything about this haircut, um, even though I would like to. So I generally go to her one week, and then I go to another place the next time, and then I come back because I know I'll get a normal haircut. But I go there not for the haircut. I go there to talk to her about the things of God. And so I was sharing with her a story about something that I had experienced in life. And I was saying, you know, this, I was trying to make an application to what Jesus does for us. And as I was sharing the story, she interrupt, interrupted me and she said, sounds like that person had a price tag. And I'm like, uh, what, do you, what do you mean? She goes, well, a price tag is whenever you have something you're willing to sell out for. And you have for sale signs in places that you didn't even know you had for sale signs. For sale signs in places there shouldn't be for sale signs. Come on, help me with this illustration. I worked hard on putting for sale signs in places they shouldn't be today. So she's like, they, they were willing to sell out. And then she launched into this story about when she was a young, beautiful woman and she had been approached by a man who asked her, would you like to wake up in the islands. In other words, solicited for her to leave with him and go live a life of luxury as long as she would sell out to everything else. And she said, but the problem was I didn't have a price tag. And the Holy Ghost began to speak to me right there and say, you know what? The problem with the church today is maybe too many people have a price tag in their life that the enemy is willing to pay. And we don't have like Ilsa, the understanding that there's no price tag. And she told me, she goes, but I didn't have a price. I grew up in Afghanistan. My father protected me from men. I knew what it was like to live up in a war-torn war nation. I knew what it was like to live scared at night in, in different ways. And she goes, and I decided in myself that I would never sell myself out for anything other than what was most important, my values and my integrity. This is what she's saying. She doesn't have any knowledge that she's preaching to the preacher while she's cutting my hair, but she's preaching to the preacher. And I said, Elsa, you have no idea, but that is a very awesome way of looking at it. And I want you to know that that is actually biblical principles that you're saying. She goes, oh, really? Yeah. Well, that's what I've lived on. And guess what? This is the truth that we need to understand 
that biblical principles when applied is something that gives you life and hope and joy. We're not just people that make sacrifices, but we make living sacrifices. And what that means in the scriptures is that we make active sacrifices unto God. In other words, we make sacrifices that bring Jesus into our life. And so he says, I'm not looking for another bull or goat. I'm not looking for another paid circumstance. Go ahead and put your hands back in your pockets and stop looking for what you have to give me. Instead, understand that I'm looking for you to live for me. I'm looking for you to put your life on the altar and say, God, whatever you want to do with my life, I will actively seek you throughout me and through me. And that's what the truth really means of this situation is that there's more involved than just paying the price because Jesus paid the price. And my personal revelation is that when I recognize any price tags in my life, I remove them. I may not know where they're at. I may not see them ahead of time. But when it presents itself to me, I go, hmm, I'm going to take that out of my life. That is not a place where the enemy can work with me and work on me. So you have to recognize and you have to ask the Lord to help you. And Ilsa was helping me that day to recognize that I need to make sure that there's no price tag in my life, that I can't be bought out in any way, shape, or form. Unfortunately for Esau, there was a price tag. He said, what good does it do me? And we're going to spend some time looking through Jacob and Esau. And I was like, Lord, I, I, I get it. I get the story of Jacob and Esau. I've been there many times, preached on it many times. And the Lord was like, no, go back, because there are heart matters involved in this story that if you share it with the people, they will see themselves in the story. How many know we should put ourselves in the story and learn from it? And so not only do we have to recognize places where we may sell out, but we have to remove them with the power of God. We have to remove them and take them from our lives. And so not only that, but we have to replace them again and again. Dysfunction disvalues divinity in our life. Did you know that? When you leave dysfunction in your life, places of dysfunction, it devalues the divine things. And that's what happened with Esau. He had the divine things devalued. And I want to just give you a little bit of Bible background because the devaluation of things really affects two major things in our life. Whenever we see that sin and the enemy of our soul devalues things around us, there's two major effects. Number one, it, it, the, it devalues the value of our lives because he came to steal, kill, and destroy. And it devalues our inheritance. Everyone say our inheritance. And so the fact is we we do wait for a spiritual inheritance. We do. And if we get impatient with that, we can sell out. So let us be very, very consistent in understanding that the devaluation affects our hearts, the things around us, the people that we see sell out, the other things that we see. Like I personally have a lot of friends that used to be in the church and they're not in the church anymore. They let something creep in that they sold out for. And I'm saddened by that. And you know what? It does affect you. Don't think it doesn't. It affects you when you look around and say, well, they're not living this way and they're not here and they're not doing it. Why are they not? Why don't they see the value in it? When you still see the value in it, when you still understand the principles are true and they bring life and they're living things that bring death because sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. And so 
don't think that it doesn't affect you. It does. You have to constantly say, well, why did they sell out to that? And if they sell out to it, am I willing to sell out to that? And make sure that there's, a no, there's no price tag there for you. Make sure that you put that on the cross and say, Lord, I don't know why there's not, I don't know why my friends aren't here. I don't know why there's people that I grew up with that say they loved God and lived for God and filled the Holy Ghost, but they're not here. You put those friends on the cross and say, Lord, you're going to have to deal with that because I don't want to have that baggage in my heart. I don't want to have to carry that around. So the background of the story is when the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter and a man of the field. And Jacob became a peaceful man. In fact, the Bible says that Rebekah loved Jacob more than Esau. And so we kind of understand that Esau was loved more by Isaac than, than Jacob was. And so that created that father deficiency in his life where he needed, you know, it's hard to understand that when, when a human being has something that their parent don't, doesn't want, that's hard to understand. And I'll be talking about a father's heart next week. I hope you can make it for that because I really believe in that, that message has some good things in it. But the interesting thing is when our hearts feel like there's something that others don't want when we feel like we're not what somebody wants or we don't have what somebody wants we feel devalued and the truth of the matter is your value is found in the cross amen your value is found that while you were yet a sinner jesus died for you and so when we see this we understand that the boys were loved by rebecca and isaac but not as much for from the very beginning god said that they're descendants would become two nations everyone say two nations and from the start it seemed very seemed as though they were struggling obviously in the womb they had struggles i brought that up there's fierce competition esau's descendants did develop into the nations of edom while jacob's whose name was later changed to israel became the nation of israel and the conflict between the brothers continued into adulthood. And ultimately, the nations that came from them were often at war with one another through the centuries. We know this through Numbers and Kings and just reading in Samuel, different places in the Bible. Many centuries later, Edom was eventually destroyed by decree of God. But it came to pass that the birthright was passed down through Jacob. See, the interesting thing about birthrights here is that we have to understand that birthright didn't just mean the family name and title. It didn't just mean that you took on your father's name and you got your father's blessings physically. It also meant that you not only got the chief portion as the firstborn of the physical inheritance, but you also received the promises of the spiritual inheritance. So we have to understand what being born means in the scripture. Whenever Nicodemus sneaks out of town and meets up with Jesus and say, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus tells him in John 3 and 5 that you have to be born again of water and spirit. That said so much more to Nicodemus than we even understand really because we weren't in that culture. We weren't in that time period. So therefore, when he said, you must be born of water and of spirit, he was telling him about 
about inheritance. He was saying, you're going to need to have a physical inheritance that comes from your father that isn't given to you by your position or by your titles or where you come from or how much you have. And you also will receive, when you're born of God, you will receive a spiritual portion as an inheritor of the things of God. And so we understand that when we talk about being born again of water and of spirit, we're talking about being born of water and baptism and born of spirit. You know where I'm going. Some of you already went there. Oh, I bet pastor's going to hit this. Well, of course I am, because you have to understand that when we talk about a spiritual inheritance or birthright and not selling out what we have and having a spiritual inheritance, we have to know that being born again affects, affects here and now, not just going to heaven. We're not talking about just having a spiritual inheritance someday, although we wait for the redemption of our bodies, the scripture says, and the place where we're going is heaven, and it's going to be amazing, but the spiritual and physical inheritance that God wants to give us is going to affect our very life on this earth. We wake up every morning as children of God. We put our feet on cold floors as children of God, and whether we feel like it or not, we walk in the blessings of spiritual anointing. We walk in a covenant promise with God. And we must be sure that that is so valuable to us that we don't sell it out for a temptation or we sell it out for a struggle. Amen? Amen, somebody. We must recognize the trouble spots. That's what they call it. When you go to the gym and you meet with a trainer and they ask you, well, what's your trouble spots? <laughs> well, I store it here and I store it here. <laughs> And they're like, oh, okay, well, we'll work on those things. Here's what you can do. I need you to start eating a different diet. Uh, no, uh, hold on. I was telling you where I store stuff, and we should do exercises for that area, right? No, they start with your diet, because what you eat is what you become. So therefore, if we understand that, we know that there are possibly some price tags in our life, some places where we're willing to sell out because we have indulged in those areas of thinking or we have fed ourselves that diet. Amen? Some people believe they are certain things because they have believed and fed themselves on that kind of thinking for so long. That's why it's so interesting that you have people that graduate high school and go into college and then two, three years in a university and they come out and they don't even believe a shred of the word of God anymore because their diet, they stopped going to church regularly. They stopped feasting on the word of God. So their diet became humanism and evolution and all of these different things that began to shape them into something different and they started developing trouble spots in their faith and trouble spots in their walk with God and where did those come from it came from their diet it came from what they began to eat and what they began to ingest and that affected their spirit and their faith and they began to change into the person that was willing to sell out their walk with God I don't know if that's a good illustration or not, but I hope there's somebody that has a trouble spot they work on here today and can be honest that it does take a little bit of uh, effort to deal with the trouble spots in your life. And then when we remove it, we must make sure that we're washed in the blood and sanctified by the Spirit. We place, and then we must replace them. Removing them is something beautiful. Today I have a cross here, and I have some things on it like bad choices pain he healed us amen 
with his cross. Amen, somebody. And he covered us for our sins by this cross that he died on. He's not on this cross anymore, but these things should still be on the cross. Amen. Our suffering should still be nailed to the cross. In fact, the Old Testament said he was a nail in a sure place. Everything can be hung on Jesus Christ. Everything in the law and the prophets can be hung on him. And I'm grateful that we don't have a Messiah that still hangs on a cross, that we don't serve a, a crucifix kind of God, but we serve a God who got up out of the grave. But his cross is a symbol of a place where we leave everything behind. Leave the hurts and the pains of life, leave the difficulties, leave the struggles, and leave the, 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 the curses and the shame and the pain and suffering. And I don't know if you were able to get a price tag today, but I wonder if maybe we couldn't put our names on those during this series. You may not be able to do it today, but I want you to be able to do it before we get done with this series. Put your name on that and hang it on the cross and say, God, if you paid this much for me, I'm willing to forever give you my life. Now, that's hard to do. I realize that. But I do realize that it's the best life you could live is a life sold out to God. There's so much blessing and power and, and, gift, and, and gifts that God shows you in your life that are so much more than just what you would receive for selling out. So Jacob and Esau, the story goes that Jacob had to basically swindle his father. And places in scripture are, are, have old antiquated language that we don't use anymore. And, and really the historians and the scholars say that Esau profaned his birthright. And the word profane is not even something we really use. We, we still use it for the word profanity. And when we talk about profanity, we think of cursing or four letter words, those kind of things. But really, Profane in the scripture was to treat something that was holy without value, something that was consecrated without careful care. So we do not normally use that, but it, it can suggest coarse or rude language, lewd language, vulgar language. But profanities in definition, the scripture uses it in a much wider sense, and it means lack of holiness, really. Lack of holiness. If you take something holy and good and you treat it with contempt, then you have profaned it. Maybe just a Bible study point here. But he profaned his birthright. He took something that was holy, a spiritual heritage, and he profaned it and treated it like a th treating the things of God like they're ordinary and despising them. It shows a lack of godliness, amen? And that it, what the New Testament says about Esau is he was immoral and lacked concern for pleasing God. Off of a bowl of beans. We're talking about a dinner transaction. I mean, he just didn't swipe right or something. He didn't use the chip. I don't know. You know, this is a dinner transaction. But yet to God in the New Testament, it's so much more. It's so much more. The Lord tells us to be sure that we are not like Esau in this, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal, Hebrews 12, 16. But that was another time and another culture. Obviously, we know 
the days were different. And there's other circumstances. We do not have we that same sense of tradition of a birthright for our inheritance like they did under the law. But we quote, being quite different, we we need to understand that there's there's things that we must do in our life to show God that we respect him and we respect his house. And so no longer does the firstborn become spiritual head of the family. In our lives, there's still lessons and applications to be made from this. And definitely, there is a few things that I wanted to hit. And many of us don't think of them at the level that maybe even Esau thought about his birthright. But the level of the application is very important. We must realize that we have provisions that God has given us. We have commandments that God has given us. We have promises, amen, that God has given us. And we must live for those things with fervor. And we must appreciate them as much as we can. And out of the abundance of our heart, we must live for him with all that we can. And the only way that we can live for him with our whole heart is if we're addressing the whole heart issues of our life. And so we must remove things. We must replace it with the word of God. We must recognize it, remove it, and place it on the cross. And then in that space where we place it on the cross, our heart has a vacancy that must be repaired and replaced by the word of God. We must, in Psalms 119, it says, we must hide the word of God in our heart that we might not sin against God. Amen, somebody? It says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In other words, when we place things on his cross, we must be sure to place his word back in our heart for those areas, or we may go back and entertain them. I don't know about you, but we have the ability to speak life. Amen? And so I have watched people that have come out of very difficult situations, out of gangs, out of trouble, and I have watched their life progress in God. They've been living for God for maybe 10 years. And then I'll watch a friend show up that used to go into the city with them or used to run around with them on the streets. And they began to talk about old stories of where they were carrying weapons and they were carrying drugs and they were doing things. And I watched as that person began to talk about that old life they didn't mean to. Maybe they didn't even know what they were doing, but they were resuscitating the feelings of the past. They were resuscitating or putting life back into what they used to be. And God asked us to leave it and never go back. Amen? There are promises that only God will give us if we leave and never go back. And so what happens is about two or three weeks later, they stop coming to church. Then you only see them about once a month. And pretty soon you find out they're, they're, they're hanging out at clubs or they're, they're going places as they shouldn't be and you're you're starting to worry about them spiritually as the body of Christ and begin to pray for them and ask God God would you help them would you touch them would you strengthen them but the problem is they remembered the days of their parting they remembered the days when they were doing things that were away from God and they actually spoke life back into their old life they resuscitated who they used to be and they lost what the promises that God wanted to give them they, they sold out because they talked their way out and so I, I've watched it happen more than once. I've watched somebody go from the front row to the third row, from the third row to the sixth row, from the sixth row to the back row. Then we don't see him every week. Then we see him every third week. Then we see him once a month. Then they come on the holidays with family. And what happened 
as they began to put up for sale signs with the way that they lived and the way that they talked. And pretty soon, those for sale signs had a buyer. Amen. And the devil showed up and said, I'll, I'll bring back your old friends. I'll bring back your old life. I'll give you success. If you'll sell out, I'll give you what you want. Put a price on it. Put a tag on it. And I'll find a way to pay for it. That's what the enemy of your soul says every day. And so we have to make sure we're removing every price tag in our life. We have to make sure that we're not, we're not offering ourselves in any area of our lives. My marriage isn't up for sale. My kids aren't up for sale. My walk with God's not up for sale. My preaching is not up for sale. My life with him is not up for sale. There's nothing in this room that's up for sale. None of my brothers or sisters are up for sale. None of, none of your family that's connected to you are up for sale. When you come to me and tell me, hey, my brother's struggling, I go to prayer for you because they're not for sale. When you get your, your family together and you find out that someone has cancer, I go to prayer for you and I get my cancer cloth out and I say, well, God, maybe he didn't answer for my stepmother, but God can answer for that nephew that you have. God can answer for that person in your life. God knows that I'm not willing to put a price tag on anybody's life and say, well, maybe that's just them selling out. Maybe it's not them selling out. Maybe it's me who has a walk with God that has put a price tag and said, you know, maybe it's just not valuable enough for me to fast. Maybe it's just not important enough for me to push the meal back a few times. Maybe it's not important enough for me to come to church tired Maybe it's just not that worth it. And while I walk through all of those feelings, I have to remember that there's still something beautiful in being sold out to God. There's something so securing, something so establishing about saying every day I walk with him and every day he walks with me and he knows my heart. And if I find a place where it does not fit a sold out life, he knows that I'm going to just ride a price tag and I'm going to stick it on the cross because that is where my life belongs. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. It is the life spring of your life. Your heart is your life spring. 1 Samuel 16 and 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on the appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him, for God sees not as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10, and I'm trying to wrap up. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. Everyone say heart. I test the mind even to give to each man according to his ways. God blesses you according to your ways, Brother Jens. Isn't that awesome? If out of our heart flows the issues of life or the ways of life, and God blesses the ways of our life, don't you think we should handle our hearts? It's the source of everything. It's the place where price tags hang. And if we don't remove them and hang them on the cross, somebody's going to come that wants to pay the price. There was a famous violinist 
He was playing in the subway in New York, and nobody knew him really. They didn't know who he was. Only a few people could really recognize. I don't know if it's like you, but I was telling some people at the bike at the walk and roll that even when I, I had like a professional golfer on the plane with me on the way back from Denver this week, and I was trying so hard to figure out who that guy was. And I'm like, oh, I know. I think I've seen him on TV. I know I know this guy. And I couldn't figure it out. And I, he was away from me, and he had a bodyguard, and I wasn't going to get beat up to find out. So I decided I'd let it go. But I don't know about you, but when I get in public, if they're not just like a major figure, you know, like LeBron James or somebody like that that I, I know about, I wouldn't even recognize him in public. But this guy was playing in a... New York subway and people didn't know it but he was playing on a 1.2 million dollar violin they left him alone didn't try to rob him because nobody saw value in that and the night before he had sold out a major venue in New York to solo with a concert with a concert set behind him it was a symphonic band and there he was playing, and nobody knew the value of what was going on. And it reminded me of the story of the violin that was for sale at the auction. You guys probably heard this story before, and I'm trying to close with this. I'm thankful that Jesus paid for me, amen? That he bought me with a precious price. But value comes from who you place your hands, your life into. Value comes from what you place your life into. And there was this violin for sale and the auctioneer began to auction it off and it was dirty and it had a string that wasn't tightened down and so it didn't look good. And he began to auction and it got to $100, $200. And then a gentleman from the back who was a known violinist concert or, or professional violinist came to the front and said, if you just excuse me a second, you guys don't know the value of what you're bidding on. And he said, give me a minute. And he took out a handkerchief and he dusted off the violin. You'll like this story, I think, Sister Cannon, because you're into music. Dusted off the violin and tightened down the string that was standing up and then tightened them down and tuned them to his ear. He was so good he could actually tune, had perfect pitch. He tuned the violin and then he began, he took out the bow and it was rough. And uh, he didn't have any wax for the bow or whatever, but he just began to play a small piece and then after he got done playing, he set, set it carefully back into the case that was on display and put the bow down, and he walked back, and he sat down, and the auctioneer began the bidding, and it went from 200 to 2,000 to 4,000 to 8,000. And the bidding just kept on going up, and when the bidding got done and the auctioneer came to the man, he said, how did you know? He said, because value is determined by the one who knows its value. No one else knew the value in the room. He goes, but when I put my hands on it and I used what skill I had, it put value in the other people's hearts and let them see the value of this, of this particular item. And so I'm trying with everything in me to let you understand that you may look at some situations in your life and have really no value in that situation. You might think that everything was lost and there's nothing worth bidding on and there's nothing worth buying there. But if you surrender it to Jesus, he'll walk from the back row 
and he'll take it out of its case and he'll take everything that you thought was not worth anything and he'll dust it off and he'll tighten it down and he'll begin to play music that your feet will want to dance to. Because he'll take the things that are valueless to you and make them worth something even though they might have been something you never would have wanted in your life. The hardest places and the most ugly places can become beautiful things in the hands of God. And I'm asking you today throughout this, I'm not asking you to do it right now, but I'm asking you throughout this series that you would take that tag with you and you would pray over it. I'm going to have more price tags here in case you forget it because I know how people are. Take them home and leave them. But over this series, would you ask God to show you places in your life that you're willing to sell out and ask him to help you to remove those areas? And then maybe over this series, you can bring that back and you can, after having some time of prayer, you can write your name on that price tag. Maybe you can do it today. Maybe you've already made the decision. Maybe you're 20 years into that decision. And you're like, easy. Name is this. Put it on the cross. No problems. Done. Did that years ago. Then you're the one that wants to hang that price tag today. But for others that have to pray about it or seek God or maybe search out their own heart, I ask you to do this over the next few weeks. And then when you've sought God and you feel like God has given you an answer to an area where you need to address, when you address it, I want you to write it on a, on a post, uh, write it on a price tag, and I want you to bring it and hang it. This cross is going to be here throughout this entire series. Come and hang it on the cross. Would you stand with me today? Jesus, would you put value in somebody's life by their surrender into your hands. God, I don't know where this message wants to go in the human heart of those that are here, but God, maybe we can walk out of this place today knowing that we're going to conquer some things we haven't conquered. We're going to seek out some hidden places that maybe we haven't addressed before. Maybe we've avoided them and we haven't gone to analyze them lately. Maybe there's places of hurt and places of difficulty. I'm asking you right now that you'd let us be wholehearted in love with you, wholehearted in service with you, and wholehearted in our consecration to you, that we would not profane the things of God, but we would recognize that your promise is in our life, that your, your sufficiency is in our life, that your spiritual inheritance is in our life, and the, we will take with importance the things that we have, and that we will take with importance the birthright that's on our life, and we will not sell out for something so small as a bowl of beans, where, where, where we can find something in our heart, Lord God, that makes us even tempted, Lord God, would you help us to write that on a post, write that on a price tag and say, no, I don't want this in my life anymore. I'm going to hang this on the cross. The only place where it can best hang is on your cross, Jesus, because that's where you did your best work for me. I pray it in Jesus' name. I want to open this altar. If you bring your price tag and pray over it, I would appreciate that you would be sincere with God today. I would appreciate that you would seek God with your heart, that you'd ask God, Lord, what is in my heart? If it's, if it's deceitful above all things, let me find a knee and let me pray that you would open my eyes to the things my heart desires. Jesus, help me to desire you more. Help me to remove the price tags in my life. 
Help me to take away the places where I didn't know it, but I'd posted a for sale sign. Just looking for the right buyer, looking for enough money to move on, looking for enough love to move into that relationship. Didn't matter how it came. I just, I was so desperate. My desire was so strong that I had a price tag hanging. And eventually someone was willing to pay the price for that. God, help us to desire you more. In Jesus' name, remove price tags in our life today. I ask in the name of Jesus. I give you my heart. I give you my soul.